following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. They'll know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. Welcome to that tip-top terrific and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane, the Mid-Modcast. And here are your Mid-Modcasters, Craig, Paula, and Dave. Hey, welcome to the Mid-Modcast. I'm Craig. Who are you people? Welcome. I'm Paula. Welcome. I'm Dave. <laughs> I changed it up. Scared you. I don't do it as well as uh, Alan does. Alan but. is the man. We are... <laughs> We are stoked to have such a voice on this program, Alan Marsh. We need Dave, more, coming more. to you from St. Louis, where the allergy numbers are off the charts right now. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> I do not miss that about St. Louis, that's for sure. Boy, was I just a flimmy, yeah. snotty mess the whole time I was there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to the Mid-Modcast, where all your Mid-Mod dreams come true. We are talking today about some really cool stuff. One year in particular, 1969. Time capsule. Yeah, Paul has got the stinger. stinger. That's that's Sorry, it. we need to get a professional one. Anybody want to do a stinger for us? If you are willing to do a mid-modcast stinger, send it to us. Midmodcast at gmail.com. You can send it there. Check us out <laughs> on the interweb on uh, at midmodcast.com. Uh, also, we're on Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram and all phone sorts number. of places. Phone number, Paula. What's the phone number? 216-309-2204. That's 216-309-2204. Call now. Thank you. Has anybody called? No, not lately. Oh, come on, people. We we did you, get a Chinese telemarketer the other day. Oh, cool. Which was very cool. I'm cool. picking up. You, I'm like, you know what would be cool is if we could get uh, listeners or fans to call in and leave us their fondest memory of 1969 that would be nice yeah, man. yes yeah. what's your fondest memory of 69 anyway? well i was a young scholar at oxford university oh no i was actually at heritage <laughs> christian school uh in kindergarten <laughs> and but i was a young scholar hey did either of you learn to read with the mcguffey readers that, no, that's something I wasn't that, born in 1682. Right. I mean, I mean, it goes back to like the 1700s, but that's what I learned to read with were oh the my, old McGuffey readers oh in kindergarten. Oh my goodness, that's, that's what question. Laurel. I don't remember. C-A-T, cat. That's Laura Ingalls Wilder's book. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? She learned from the McGuffeys. That's, yeah, because, uh, you know, I came to California in a covered wagon. And, uh, and I was a big fan of Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> and remind me, Craig, you have how many older siblings? I have two older siblings. Two. One is nine years older and the other one is two years older. So, oh, okay. And yeah. Paula? Yes, I am the oldest of, and of three. Oh, you're the oldest. Yeah. Okay. All right. Three. Yeah. So the, the reason I asked that question is because I had, like Craig, I had uh, some siblings who were way older than I was. So they kind of read to me and I think kind of helped me learn to to read Aww. with Aww. them so i think i kind of had a um you know a head start by the time i got to kindergarten but 
That's I, really I don't nice. remember. Say, say that um, system again, Craig. McGuffey Readers. McGuffey. Yeah, know. you know, I was at the Smithsonian Institute uh, maybe 20 years ago, and they had the full set of McGuffey Readers there that wow. you could buy. It's a museum. I'll have to look yeah, those up. It's a museum piece, yeah. yeah. And there is something about the McGuffey Readers, the ink just smells like butt. <laughs> I mean, it's like a butt. And, and, because it's 100 and years it's, old? It's amazing no? because the ones at, at the Smithsonian had that same smell i remembered that the smell is crazy like they weren't behind a glass you could sniff no them? no you could buy them you <laughs> oh could, you, you could, could buy, buy them in the yeah. gift shop nice yeah they had them for sale in the <laughs> gift shop then there's the crazy man in the corner sniffing them that yeah would be that was that was wow. me the, the crazy guy in the corner sniffing the mcguffey readers that was <laughs> wow do you know what i was so, doing oh <laughs> what were you doing well, in 1969 Paul? i was welcoming the arrival of my little sister renee oh. Oh, little Renee me. came Hello, out man. in 1969. <laughs> came out. She came out. I'm sorry. That made no sense. <laughs> Renee was born in 1969. I just think of those pictures of little Renee, who became a beauty queen, uh, with this kinky, crazy Brillo pad, white Blonde. blonde hair. That oh, was wow. just like, it's like. Who knew that this child would grow up to be Miss Orange, California? You know? Yeah, <laughs> What, what yes. about you, Dave? What was? Wait, seriously, she was or- Miss Orange, California. Yes. yes, and then she wow. competed in the Miss California pageant as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask really quickly a moment ago when we were on the subject of the McGuffey readers, um, is this just a St. Louis slash Midwest thing or did the bookmobile come to your (gasps) elementary school? I do remember the bookmobile. Okay. So it was like nationwide. All right. Yeah. No, Paul. Do you not remember the? I do, and I don't think we ever got it. Your mom was a librarian, and no, she wasn't a librarian at that time. Well, not at that time, no. No, it was much. But she was a librarian later. Much later, the bookmobile (laughs) that's ringing a bell. Well, Craig, to answer your question, um, for our listeners in the St. Louis, Missouri area, I was getting ready to start kindergarten with Mrs. Lois Leventhal. At oh, Iveland Elementary School. So I I was pretty stoked. And of course, you know, I had all these siblings ahead of me who had gone to the same schools and, you know, built it up to be really awesome. So Aww. I was excited. And I had a Snoopy lunchbox. I was ready to go, man. Oh, my goodness. I had a Charlie Brown lunchbox <laughs> in kindergarten. Nice. I don't remember what kind. I think I had like a little red barn lunchbox. Or oh, something those were like popular. That. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, the school that I went to was actually uh, kindergarten through 12th grade. So both my brothers were there at the same time, which is oh, wow. weird. But yeah. Nice. I remember <laughs> my best friend was Marcia King. I was even a ladies' man in kindergarten. Is she the one oh, that nice. said, I hate you? No, that was I a love different you. one. Yeah. I, I hate you, but I think someone loves you. Yeah, like, Craig's, anyway. mom, Craig's mom handed me a bunch of um, notes that his class had written to him because Craig had gotten very ill. I, I had think, the London flu. In first or kindergarten, really <laughs> I think it was young. was like second grade. But second, yeah. And so she sent me these, um, she gave me these notes that these kids had written to my husband and these girls wrote like, I think so-and-so loves you. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. Craig was they were the all talking man. about him. And then one yeah, girl baby. goes, oh, one girl writes i hate you get well soon <laughs> well paula look at that other zoom zoom screen sorry viewers at home you can't see it but i mean that red hair i mean he was a hottie i guess that kid look yeah. sharp dresser look at that tie that nice skinny tie 
That yes, is that's his profile picture. For I think so, it was probably about six years old. Yeah, maybe seven. Six years old. Quick, quick question, Craig. Was that like a like a Latina name? Um, it's it wasn't Marcia. No, it was, it was Mar- Marcia, Marcia King. Marcia. Right. Uh, we were playing. We we rode to school together and and stuff. My my parents or her grandfather would shuttle us and everything. And, oh, nice. and I remember we were playing and she pulled the fire alarm at the school there. And, oh. then, and then we ran off and hid. Oh. And it's like, <laughs> you guys were two peas in a pod then. Yeah. I'm going to have to make sure that I send this, uh, this podcast to Marcia now. Yeah. To make sure that. Uh, hey Marcia, how's it going? Yeah. yeah. I haven't <laughs> talked to Marcia in a long time. Check it out. Yeah. Wow. Anyhow, time capsule. 1969 Sorry. time capsule. Paula, you're going to jump right in. You've got a list from uh, Reminisce Magazine, which is a cool magazine, by the way. If if you're out there and you haven't seen Reminisce, check it out. It's got all sorts of really cool old stuff. And it's mostly written, isn't it written mostly by people who lived the experience? It's like yeah, now, they're, now they're are, in retirement homes and drooling and stuff. There are articles, um, like, you know... <laughs> professionally and then about half the magazine is just people writing in with their memories and their photos so it's got a sweetness to it so yeah reminisce magazine and the year time capsule 1969 what a year humans walked on the moon it's a great year we chose by the way half a million marchers in washington dc protest the vietnam war Rock and folk legends blow fans mind at a massive music festival near Woodstock, New York. Sesame Street teaches preschoolers the alphabet while the alphabet while hee haw and laughing entertain oh, yeah. all the grownups. <laughs> hee haw, hee haw. My dad liked hee haw. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid rules the box office. Wait a minute, I have to stop and consider Goldie Hawn in her bikini laughing. Okay, you may <laughs> Sock continue it now. To me, baby. Sock, Sock it to, it to me, me, baby. Rod uh, Laver or Laver, I don't know this, goes on a tennis tear sweeping all four Grand Slam events. Mm. Levi Strauss and company sells denim bell bottoms. And these words are in common use per Merriam Webster. So the first one, very common use, was the ATV. Honda debuts its three wheel powerhouse made for tough terrain. A poor safety Mm. record will lead to a ban, and the safer (laughs) four wheeler above will take the lead. Oops, there's a picture. Sorry, folks. Bubblegum. That that thing uh, dates back all the way to 69. I know, isn't that crazy? And then bubblegum music, teens and groove to the saccharine songs like Sugar Sugar by cartoon band, the Archies. So the Archies is a cartoon band. It really is a cartoon band, right? Yeah. Okay. You sure? Okay. Well, it's studio musicians that that had a that cartoon. had yeah. And there's actually uh, the guy who wrote the music and sang the lead, I think, who toured and stuff. So okay. He, I think he had a band called the Archies or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But and Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, after the toy breed becomes a champ in Canada, the U.S. Oh. dog fanciers work for its official recognition. Ooh. I thought that's so common nowadays. Yeah. The dust mite. Scientists had theorized the presence of such a microscopic critter center middle this year. It's confirmed its mites are there and they are triggering <laughs> allergies in 1969. Dave, maybe you have dust mite infestation. Uh, <laughs> then we've got fuzzy logic. Fuzzy logic, a method of machine reasoning huh. based on probabilities rather than data. Hmm. In other words, computers learn to think like humans hmm. hands-on learning that lets students conduct scientific experiments and operate a computer later the term will mean practical hari krishna 
Beatle George Harrison produces a single of the Hare Krishna chant. It becomes the mantra heard round the world. The word kazillion, this made up number, made up number, is just one of the ways is it, to. Is it kazillion, kazillion or gazillion? Kazillion. And when did gazillion there's up, become There's umpteen huh. uh, iterations. It refers to an unspecified amount. Martin Luther King, MLK Day, um, Atlanta celebrates the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. one year after his death. The holiday won't become a federal holiday until. 1983, however, and that was really spearheaded by, my students are learning all about him, Stevie Wonder was very influential in that. Yes. No, wow. Did not know Um, that. Yeah, Slam Dunk. The NCAA banned this high percentage shot before the 1967-68 season, just as the future of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's college game was taking off. As an NBA star rookie, KAJ is now free to stuff it. The video cassette <laughs> recorder, Sony designs a machine that automatically loads a book-sized video cartridge. It's a big step for affordable home viewing technology. Affordable. affordable. Back when and it was like, it was like you know, what, 50 grand a, or something like that. There's a little that. thing on it, how much it cost um, back then. What was it? Wasn't it wasn't affordable was at that time. It, it became more affordable. Oh, my goodness. In <laughs> yeah. 1956, it was $50,000. Yeah. That wow. in 1956, that's like 10 years worth of wages right there. That's and then the lower cost prototype was introduced in 1969, though. Oh, okay. So Pro-line. I don't know what lower cost. I, I remember around 1980, they were running over a thousand bucks. Yeah. So, so I'm hmm. curious as to what um, it was in 1969. And then windsurfing. Or maybe engineer, I'm just thinking yeah. of the oh, video cool. cameras. I don't know. Yeah. Engineer, hey, windsurfing. When Jim Drake streamlines the surfboard with a sail concept, giving rise to a sport with mass appeal. Sweet. Big windsurfing during 19th. A lot, a lot happened. Big year. And the very big well headline in August, the August 11th edition of Time magazine was a big one. It introduced three big stories that broke recently. Chappaquiddick was one of those stories. The Apollo 11 landing on the moon. Moon landing. And then we also have a very interesting story about the Cuyahoga River fire. And so those three stories are huge. And I'm going to talk a little bit about. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. The public outrage on this river fire, by the way, this all happened in Cleveland, which is where we live now. So that's kind of why I chose to kind of talk a little bit about it. And because of that 1969 fire on the river, you know, you usually pour water on fires to quench them. This fire was on the actual river. And that public outrage for this fire, it um, spawned this national reckoning in water pollution, and it led to three important things. The uh, creation of the Clean Water Act, the Environmental Protection Agency, and Earth Day. So thank you to Cleveland. You are welcome, fans of those three things. Paula, was it like 
chemical waste runoff from I, like, oh, yeah. I will tell or? you, yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. So the, yes, in. right. This river was filthy. This was um, this the water the um, Cuyahoga water helped create the in- industries that polluted it. So in Cleveland, we had expansive wealth you know we've had the rockefellers and all the we were i think the fifth largest city in the united states hugely wealthy huge industry and um it it um opened in 1827 and so the businesses like standard oil goodyear tires they all Hmm. were in cleveland using this cuyahoga river and its flow was just right to serve as the source of water for the ohio and the erie canal which opened in 1827 so the deposit of coal and iron ore were made accessible by that canal and it attracted all of this industry and also it was the route it also um those industries are going to build several dams along this route to provide hydroelectric power so they um the industrial waste was just dumped into this river everything was dumped it was horrible the cities of both cleveland and akron are 38 miles apart for those who don't know that along the riverbanks they were just booming and all that waste wound up in the cuyahoga river whose lower reaches were transformed basically into just a big old open sewer and here's a quote of what it was like. <laughs> Yellowish black rings of oil circled on its surface like grease in a soup. A Czech immigrant, Frantis Vlecek. <laughs> I'm just making that up. No, I'm not. I'm trying to pronounce something that's really hard to pronounce. Not he bad. described in his autobiography. The water was yellowish, thick, full of clay, stinking of oil and sewage. Piles of rotting wood were heaped on either bank of the river and it was all dirty and neglected. He goes on to explain that he learned that it flowed into Lake Erie, which it does, the source of Cleveland's drinking water. As he stood outside a slaughterhouse, watching a great stream of dirty water rushing from it right into the river. There was also this general rule back then, if you fell into the Cuyahoga River, you would immediately need to go to the hospital. They say that rats floated by it with corpse so big that actually looked like Now, here's the rub on the river. It first actually caught fire in 1968, and it burned 11 more times. So from 1868 Hmm. until that big 1969 blaze, we had pretty much a baker's dozen fires on the river. But everybody was like, meh, we're making lots of money. The industry's good. So what? A little pollution's not going to hurt us, you know? Let's just make the river just completely grow. So, but they were making money, making money in industry and industry. And and it wasn't until, you know, and that particular fire in the 1969 fire, it was really no big deal. It was all extinguished in just 24 minutes, and there was only $50,000 in damage. It was so short and so small that there weren't even any photos taken of it. And it didn't even hardly oh, wow. make the local news. It was just not a big deal. It was just 24 minutes. But then there was a big surprise. What happened next is kind of surprising. So without the photos, and they wanted to um, bring to the forefront the need for clean water, clean air. They needed a good ecosystem. So Time Magazine picked up this story about the river burning, but they used a 1952 photo, which was about uh, the 
the um, fire was so much larger and it was just, you know, millions of dollars in damage. So they used the photo from 1952. And in the article, they described Cuyahoga as a river that oozes rather than flows. Instead of <laughs> a person fell in, they would not drown, but they would decay. <laughs> the nation, wow. all of a sudden, with that article and that picture, suddenly woke up to the realities of industrial pollution. And unfortunately, Cleveland and the Cuyahoga River became the symbol of calamity. Even though in the year 1968, they were actively really trying to clean up this river, because of that article, everything kind of just really blew up. And it wasn't just our Cleveland area. It was meant, There were about five or six rivers that had caught in fire numerous times as well. But, but because of this bring, being brought to the forefront, um, in January, that following January, President Richard Nixon dedicated a full third of a State of the Union speech to the environment, saying, "Oh wow, the great question of the '70s is: Shall we surrender to our surroundings, or shall we make our peace with nature and begin to make reparations for the damage we have done to our air, to our land, and to our water?" So, in response, Nixon proposed the creation of the Environmental Protection Ang- Agency to Congress. And then on April 22nd, 1970, in response to both of the Cuyahoga Fire, Cuyahoga Fire. It's what the locals thank would say. Thank you, Cuyahoga. Oh, they say hog, hog. They do. Yeah, Cuyahoga. Uh, a massive oil spill off the coast of Santa Barbara, California. Hey, it's not just us. But are they calling Santa Barbara the mistake on the The ocean? mistake on, on no. the Pacific. It on the be, Pacific, right? No. So it's just only Cleveland that gets this bad reputation. The mistake on the lake is what Yeah, call we're Cleveland. called the mistake on the lake, yeah. and that kind of all happened with this fire. Gaylord Nelson, a senator from Wisconsin, organized a teach-in protest on, his, on college campuses nationwide to spread awareness of environmental issues. And it was rebranded as Earth Day. 20 million Americans, 10% of the U.S. population at the time, participated in the protest. That was kind of surprising to me. That's a lot of, a lot of um, enthusiasm and a, a lot of get, get, gumption, I should say. And then so this photo of the Cuyahoga River ablaze in 1952, but published in the Times in 1969, came to symbolize the importance of that environmental revolution. So what is our, our river and what is Cleveland like now? Um, in the year 2019, just a little short time ago, the fish were declared safe to eat. Yay, we've made progress. Wow, it took so, that long. Yeah, man. I know. Isn't that crazy? But right <laughs> now, if you go down to that area, it is actually super cool. It's called the um, the biggest um, recreational and fun area is called the Flats. And if you go down there in the spring, in the summer, there are people out there fishing. It's huge. Um, you'll, there's a lot of kayaking. There's stand-up paddleboard. And um, it's actually a really cool place of recreation now. They've done made tremendous strides to clean up the river. And, and actually, from what I have read, 1969 was actually the last river fire that we have had in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, but no, totally we did US. have a little wow. one recently again in the Cuyahoga River. I take that back. We had a, sh- a small one in 2019. But apparently it wasn't a, a, such a big deal because really? sometimes the yeah, I so, don't remember even hearing it was about a little that. one. Yeah, I think it was a, a tanker issue. So I don't oh. think it was because of pollution or anything. But the original one was caught, I believe, by a train sparking. Pass, passing um, by. So that kind of started the that, first one. 
that was going to be my question. I mean, obviously, I, I, I get the whole, you know, uh, pollution, chemicals, oil, whatever, swirling around in the water. Yeah. But, what, you know, what was the, the source of ignition? Yeah, so it was a train. It was a train spark. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was thinking lightning. Or right, lightning. right. And, it, and then ever wow. since then, Cleveland has gotten this reputation, you know, then <clears throat> right. what's that movie that we love so much? Oh, Major League. If you ever, yeah, if Rand, you Randy Newman singing uh, "Burn On." Burn On. If you have not seen Major League, I highly recommend that one. It is so funny, and the whole movie starts out with a great view of Cleveland and and the the song "Burn Burn On." <laughs> so anyway, so it's about the burning Cuyahoga. Yeah, uh, but you know what? It's all ending up on a happy note, though. Cleveland is. A pretty you, cool place. You can, you can catch a lot of fish in the Cuyahoga mm-hmm. River. You know, and you, eat it. You, <laughs> you mentioned uh, Akron is uh, called Rubber City, and it's still, I think, the hub of rubber production in the United States, if not the world. So yes. you oh, can wow. imagine them dumping all of the residue and everything from that into the Cuyahoga, and then coming down, and we've got all the steel industry on the river, and all sorts of chemicals and muck and all sorts of stuff just flowing in there when you know back when people didn't think about these sorts of things you remember on uh, mad men and they went picnicking and they just left (laughs) their trash out everywhere i was like it was like that back (laughs) back when we were kids people just leave trash out i don't know the animals will come and take care of it or something i don't know i was gonna ask it was it nixon's epa work that um led to the the, the anti-pollution campaigns, you know, like the the, oh. co- the commercial with the Indian tear. Oh, yeah. Chief Crybaby. Yeah. <laughs> I always called him Chief Crybaby when I was a kid. It, sound, it sounds like the right era, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, yeah, I think it was about pollute, that. Don't pollute, um, yeah. kitchen. So the rest of the nation really should be thanking Cleveland. Yeah, man. Yeah. Man, you know, instead of making fun of us, right? <laughs> Do I remember right that Chief Crybaby was actually an Italian actor? Or was what? he actually? I don't think so. I need to look that up. I put down for the some crack reason that oh, stuck man. in my head. I don't know. Maybe my dad so, said that because you know anything good's Italian. So that's nice. <laughs> Paula. The other comment I was going to make about your um, your introductory time capsule part um, piece was uh, the bubble gum bands that you mentioned. Yeah, I remember as a kid begging. I, I think I mentioned this on another episode begging my mom to please buy super sugar crisp because it had oh, yeah. it had the archie record on the back or maybe you got the monkeys one or i don't know yes. I, don't, I can't remember what else they put on there maybe josie and the pussycats i don't remember but, i got um, um who was that star before um before david cassidy the big teen Bobby Sherman. Oh, Bobby Sherman. Bobby Sherman. I got a Bobby Sherman record on the back of Raisin Bran. Oh, on Raisin Bran. Yeah. Well, like, maybe it was just post cereals in general, not just a yeah. sugar crisp. But, but I mean, um, just the fact that they had records on, on you the know, boxes since, is crazy. Since right, we're talking right. about that, I, I was just looking at the top uh, songs of 1969. Number one for 1969, Sugar Sugar by the Archies was no number one for the year. Wow. Check out check out some of these other ones in the top 20 or so. Bubblegum? Sugar Sugar, Aquarius, Let the Sunshine In, mm-hmm. right? Uh, by the Fifth Dimension. By the Fifth Dimension, The Temptations, yeah. I Can't Get Next to You. Yeah. Uh, let's scroll down. Everyday People, fl- Sly in the Family Stone, uh, I'll Never Fall in Love Again, Tom Jones. 
Nice. Build oh. me up buttercup by the foundations. <gasps> we love yes. that. Why do you build me up? <laughs> uh, Crimson and Clover, Tommy James and the Chandels, <laughs> one by Three Dog Night. One is the Lord. I saw them in concert a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, nice. Well, like three, four years ago. Now. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Henry Mancini. Love song, love theme from Romeo and Juliet. Oh, that's okay. a great song. Yeah. And I didn't realize that was Henry Mancini, but, and I even did a whole segment on Henry Mancini. Yeah. I uh, love that song. Suspicious Minds, Elvis Presley. Okay, this one surprises me because I thought that it would come much later. Sweet Caroline, that, Neil Diamond. That. Oh, I yes. thought that I thought that was like late seventies. I didn't realize that that was nineteen sixty nine. Well, we 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 were at a trivia night once, and they asked about that song, and we all said nineteen seventy one. I would have guessed I like seventy eight. I would yeah. have definitely it, gone seventies. Yeah, 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 sixty nine. Spinning song. wheel. What goes up? Um, is this karaoke podcast? Yeah, I mean, this is awesome. <laughs> Hurt so bad by the Letterman. Here's here's the last one that I wanted to get to. Number thirty two. Now, this one, actually, I would have thought was late 70s, early 80s. My Sharia Moore by Stevie Wonder. I would not have guessed 1969. There's no way. Oh, and 36, A Boy Named Sue. How can you go wrong with that, Johnny Cash? Oh, that's a lot of great songs. (laughs) And there were tons of others that I skipped over there. Top 100 is just chock full of of great songs. 69 was fun. Yeah. Except for yeah. all that bad stuff. All the bad stuff was bad, but the good <laughs> stuff was good. You know, back then it was ecology, not not environmentalism. It was the ecology and the ecologists. And they had that logo with the little ecological. E. Everything was ecological. And we were facing a new ice age. Not global warming, but we were going to freeze to death really? back in the early 70s, <laughs> late 60s. I don't remember that. Yes. We were, we were in a cooling trend. And we were going to die. Times they are a change in, right? And was 1969 too early for us to talk about the banning of aerosols, aerosol spray cans? That was 70s, wasn't it? Oh, gosh. I thought that was like 80s or 90s or something. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I don't know. No, Yeah, yeah, the hole in the ozone layer. I don't know. Fluorocarbons. So so that Time Magazine article about um, the Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga River. You might want to talk into your microphone. The magazine article about the Cuyahoga River. Yeah. um, Also talked about some kind of moon landing. (gasps) Well. So what was that all about? I'm glad you asked that, Paula D'Onofrio, because I'm talking about Apollo 11. But there were a lot of things that led up to 1969 Apollo 11. Yes. November 16th, 1956, while addressing Western Bloc nations, Nikita Khrushchev declared, it doesn't depend on you whether or not we exist. If you don't like us, don't accept our invitations and don't invite us to come to see you. Whether you like it or not, history will be on our side. We will bury you. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Now that speech prompted envoys from the 12 nations of NATO and and Israel to stomp out of the room saying, that guy's nuts. Uh, This was perceived as a threat of nuclear war. And with this, the struggle between the Soviet Union and the United States became very, very real. And all those NATO nations also. 1957, the following year. Stuff got even more real. The Soviets put Sputnik into orbit and it beeped around the world. I talked about this in a previous episode, but it beeped around the world going beep, 
beep, beep. <laughs> and it was clearly some sort of mind control or some sort of message of doom. Right. It was the beep of doom. And fear became palpable <laughs> in the United States that if the Soviet Union could put this little beeping ball into space, the next step could certainly be nuclear warheads that would rain down on us at will. The space race had just been put into overdrive. Uh, Eisenhower is desperate to beat the Soviet Union into space. 1961, April 12, America is more deeply humiliated as Yuri Gagarin is the first human being to orbit the Earth. The United States falls further behind in the race, and President Kennedy doesn't see this as a high priority at this point, but he soon will. Yeah. Just one week later, the U.S. had backed exiled Cuban patriots, and this proved to be a very, very bad thing because we failed drastically. It was too big of an operation to keep secret and too small to be effective. Kennedy inherited this from Eisenhower, where we were going to put in something like 1,400 troops, Cuban troops that were trained by America and equipped by America, back into Cuba to overthrow Castro. Of course, Castro knew all about it because, like I said, it was too big. And uh, there was a radio station there waiting for them at the Bay of Pigs as they invaded. And, of course, they were slaughtered. Uh, something like 110 were murdered and uh, murdered, killed in war. And uh, 1,100 would uh, be taken captive and probably died in Cuban prisons. I don't know. But this was a huge black mark on the Kennedy administration. Now, Kennedy inherited this from Eisenhower. And this was Eisenhower's gig. Kennedy was just fresh into the White House. He didn't really know who was who and what's what at this point. And uh, we needed a win in America in a big way because Kennedy had been humiliated here. The Soviets really took advantage of this situation and just mocked Kennedy to no end and made him into a laughing stock. And uh, this was a disaster. The space program was struggling at this point, and there wasn't re we weren't really sure if we were ever going to catch the Soviets, and interest was really waning. Uh, we thought that it was kind of a lost cause. And then in 1962, Kennedy declared, we choose to go to the moon. By 1970, we will put a man on the moon. And, of course, that means that the space program would be heavily funded. And uh, this gave them new life as they decided to go to the moon. Now, the people at NASA at this point were saying 1970. We don't know if we could put anyone on the moon before 1980, maybe 1990, 1970. Uh, I, I don't know. But, uh, well, well, we'll get on it. And thanks to the help of former Nazi scientist Werner von Braun, America started to get caught up that same year. John Glenn orbited the Earth three times compared to Gagarin's one orbit. So we're catching up fast. Now, 1969 rolls around and there have been uh, all sorts of Gemini uh, missions and 10 Apollo missions at this point. And we are up to Apollo 11, 1969. And we know this is the big one. Apollo 11 was launched by a Saturn V rocket from Kennedy Space Center in Merritt Island, Florida on July 16, 1969. This was the fifth crewed mission of NASA and their Apollo program. The Apollo spacecraft had three parts, a command module with a cabin for three astronauts, the only part that returned to the Earth, a service module 
which supported command module with propulsion, electrical power, oxygen, water, all that stuff, and a limb, the lunar module, which had two stages, a descent stage for landing on the moon and an ascent stage to get them back into lunar orbit. Orbit. This was the space flight that first landed humans on the moon. Commander Neil Armstrong and lunar module pilot Buzz Aldrin formed the American crew that landed the Apollo lunar module Eagle on the face of the moon. After being sent to the moon, the Saturn V's third stage, the astronauts separated and, uh, the spacecraft from, from the limb, and it traveled three days until they entered lunar orbit. I'm sorry, the limb did it in orbit so that they could descend to the moon. Armstrong and Aldrin moved to the Eagle and landed in the Sea of Tranquility on July 20th, 1969. The astronauts used the Eagle's ascent stage to lift off from the lunar surface and rejoin Collins, who was commanding the the module that was circling the moon at the time. They jettisoned the Eagle before they performed maneuvers that propelled Columbia. Columbia was the, the one that was circling the moon. 30 orbits and... Back to Earth, they splashed down the Pacific Ocean July 24th after more than eight days in space. When they landed on the moon, we heard the call, the eagle has landed. And that has really stuck ever since. Armstrong became that first person to step on the face of the moon July 21st. Aldrin joined him 19 minutes later. Together, outside of the spacecraft, they... uh, played and collected rocks and all sorts of things, lunar material for uh, quite a while, about three hours, if I remember right, maybe four. Uh, Michael Collins flew the command module Columbia alone in lunar orbit, and they were on the moon surface. Here we go. Uh, They spent 21 hours, 36 minutes on lunar surface at the site on Tranquility Base before lifting off to rejoin Columbia in lunar orbit. Now, you got to realize that two guys went down and walked on the moon, and poor Collins is up there circling the moon. He had to feel like he was the taxi driver, right? I mean, mean, these two guys are getting all the glory down there, you know, one small step for man, one giant step for mankind, and... And Collins is circling. You don't hear his name nearly as much. I think I'll take it now. He was waiting in the getaway car. Yeah. Yeah. He's up there (laughs) sipping on Tang, just watching it on TV or something. It's like you when you just like circle the parking lot while I run into the grocery store. Yeah. It's it's a lot like that. Right. (laughs) So Armstrong's first step onto the lunar surface was broadcast on live TV to a worldwide audience. Now, here's the question that the conspiracy theorists like to ask. Oh, my goodness. How do you get video of the first step without someone first stepping on the moon and i gotta assume oh yeah that the camera was already affixed to the side of the module that's my oh guess. sure okay yeah. so you know but still it, it is a, it's a valid question how does that work yeah right huh. so anyway this was on tv he described the event as he said one small step for man one giant leap for mankind Apollo 11 effectively ended the space race and fulfilled the nation's goal proposed in 1961 by President John F. Kennedy before the decade is out. Landing a man on the moon and returning him safely is our goal. Eagle rendezvoused with Columbia at 9.24 p.m. on July 21st, and the two docked. The Eagle's ascent stage was jettisoned into lunar orbit just before the Apollo 
12 flight, it was noted that the Eagle would still likely be orbiting the moon, but it wasn't. Uh, apparently, it had uh, decayed its orbit, impacted somewhere in a, quote, uncertain location on the lunar surface. I'm going to assume the dark side of the moon, but I don't know. The aircraft carrier USS Hornet, under the command of Captain Carl hmm. J. Sieberlich, was selected as the primary recovery ship, ship for Apollo 11 on June 5th. That can't be right. Oh, it was it was designated on June 5th. It steamed out there to pick them up on July 24th. There we go. Their mission was completed. The recovery of our three heroes, their dirt, rocks, small alien moon creatures were placed into quarantine until one of those creatures got out and caused COVID-19 in the year 2020. No. Oh, well, so I'm told. Oh, golly. <laughs> nice. Please don't write in. Oh, yeah, please awesome. do write in. Hey, we need letters. I I think that that's as good of a conspiracy theory as any other that I've heard around COVID. Right? So, caused by moon. Do you, do you either of you remember watching? I do not remember. Yes, that. I do. I do indeed. You do. I, I think I have a vague memory of it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember praying at night, and my mom. It was oh, over yeah. summer, and she go now. Make sure we pray for the men on the moon. I do remember that. We'd look so, at the moon. Nice. I do recall the man on the moon. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, I, I think we mentioned this way back on a previous episode, but um, if you have a subscription to Disney Plus, there's a really, really good episodic show called The Right Stuff. I'm not referring yes. to the I've been I've been binging anyway. that recently, actually, yeah, to prepare for it, this. It's good. And it it's very really good. gives a lot of background about you know, they even talk about Von Braun, but um, the, uh, you know, the, the physical testing that was involved and, you know, how they chose them and how their wives and families became part of the spotlight as well. It's, re- it's a really great show. It, it is. Um, I'm hoping that they'll come out with season two because they kind of yeah, ended it abruptly, but such as the way of Rona. Oh, you're all done. Yeah. Um, there's also a really good documentary on Disney Plus called The Real Right Stuff, which is oh. a documentary <laughs> with all of them. And uh, that John Glenn was actually a very clever guy. He he had a lot of uh, smart quips and stuff. They they asked uh, <laughs> at the press conference. They asked him uh, what which of the tests uh, did did you dislike the most or something like that. And he said, "Well, uh, consider all the various orifices on the human body Ooh. and how deep you can go with those orifices. And whichever one sounds worse to you, that's the one." Is uh, something like oh, to that nice. effect, and you're like, "Oh, uh. uh, <laughs> but well, it was right, it was pretty hilarious." <laughs> so, nice. 1969 was also one of my favorite songs of all time. Manamana. 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 And with that, I throw it to Dave. All righty, man. Thank you. So I thought my angle this time out might, it might be fun to talk about what a typical day in the life of a kid in a 1969 time capsule might look like. And of course that kid is going to be me or at least whatever (laughs) I can remember from 1969. Um, but in my household, uh, I would, I, I grew up in a household of seven kids and two adults. And so um, 
we we had to have a, a a pretty careful schedule about bath and shower times. So my brother and I always did our our baths in the evening, uh, uh, leading up to uh, leading up to bed bedtime. And I don't, I don't know if this ever fascinated you guys. Uh, as a kid, I always thought it would be cool to have Mister Bubble bath soap. Oh yeah, yeah, Bubbles was awesome. Yeah, but um, and it, and it debuted in 1961. By the way, um, oh. that that cool font and you know the happy cartoon bubble on yes. the box always seemed super appealing, right? It did I agree? Yeah. In the pink, yeah, was it? Yeah, it was a pink powder, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a powder, exactly. Well, you could uh, get the liquid yes. kind too, but yeah, it was m- mostly used. They they in the commercial they showed like the mom filling up the palm of her hand with that soap powder and then dumping it in in the bathtub but uh in the fritz household you guys ready uh we um always used ivory liquid dish soap oh (laughs) (laughs) and and i tell you what man i can still smell that stuff to this day now um it it was good for getting the grease off of little boys i'm sure so yeah yeah. well you know they always advertise it as being like gentle to your hands so why not bathe your kids in it i guess for for what it's worth you can pick up mr bubble original bubble bath 16 ounce at walmart for 294 294 what a deal yeah too bad we don't have a bathtub i don't know (laughs) um Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so it would be, um, it would be bath time in the evening and then, uh, in the morning, uh, I might turn on my older brother's transistor radio and listen to KXOK. It was six thirty on the AM dial and it was the station that everyone listened to in St. Louis at the time. So, Craig, all those groovy hits that you mentioned earlier, um, I was probably listening to those on a. Did, did you guys have a tiny little transistor radio? Oh, yeah. Yes. Remember with the one headphone, the yeah. one yes, ear, the little earplug, yeah. Yes. yeah, the earpiece, right? Um, yeah. So uh, uh, then I'd have a big old bowl of cereal for breakfast. Now, sadly, and I don't know if you guys had the same experience growing up. Penny pinching Betty Fritz was not keen on getting her kids uh, on letting her kids rather eat those expensive sugar laden cereals. So we typically made do with Cheerios, Rice Krispies or Kicks. I get that. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. So thus my begging of the, you know, super sugar crisps like you get yes. a record. Um, I don't think the the General Mills cereals. um had records on the so back, but, but right. By the way, did you guys know that Kicks has been around since 1937? I did not wow. know that. Yeah, me neither. I thought it was like a product of our childhood, but wow. anyway. Uh, and by the way, Betty is still with us. She's 91. Hi, mom. <clears throat> we used to. I always liked the shredded wheat, but the big kind of ones that were like oh, the, four the, inches the long biscuits. and about two wide and. and <laughs> And then, of course, you put a pound of sugar on them. Oh, so, okay. I was yeah, wondering because exactly. they weren't very sweet. Otherwise, it's cardboard. Yes. 
Dude, what what were you, 40 when you were like the no. age of five? I mean, come on. I was, I was very like regular. Meat. I had, you know, I had good fiber content. I was I was regular. You didn't eat frosty <laughs> frosted mini Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I loved Apple Jacks as, as much okay. as the next kid or, of course, Captain Crunch. But the marshmallows oh, yeah, would, you know, Lucky or Lucky Charms, the marshmallows we get or the Crunch Berries and the Captain Crunch would go first usually. Yes. Nice. If you got the yeah, Crunch man. Berries. Yeah. So then after our, you know, uh, uh, cereal bowl breakfast, my siblings and I uh, would he- head off to school. And for me, that meant riding the bus or walking to school. Of, of course, this was suburban America in 1969. And pretty much every family put their kids on the bus or sent them off walking. Um, there weren't really many, if any, uh, documented child abduction cases being talked about on the news at the time That's to right. freak out or scare the parents. So, yes. so very few moms or dads uh, drove their kids to school. But had she, it would have been in our one-year-old '68 Impala wagon that I wish I had today. That was <laughs> oh, yeah. far back then, man, it was awesome. Um, now. If I had been sick enough to stay home from school, how might my day have gone? Now, I will tell you guys, the Fritz kids did not stay at home unless we were like really sick. (laughs) So because mom needed her free time. So we went to school, (laughs) right? Well, you you Um, should have tried having a doctor for a dad. You had to be bleeding out of your eyes before you could stay home. Oh, I could imagine. (laughs) Yeah. You couldn't fake it very often. um, So... Again, we talked about on a previous episode that the Price is Right didn't debut in its, you know, 70s era format until 1972. So I probably would have watched a brand spanking new show in the world of children's television programming called Sesame Street. Yes, good old Sesame Street. It premiered in the fall of 1969 and was the creation of TV producer Joan Gans Cooney and Lloyd Morissette and produced by the Children's Television Workshop, which Cooney co-founded. The program used educational goals and a uh, curriculum to shape its content and used characters created by Jim Henson or Muppets created by Jim Henson to deliver the lessons along with short films and animation. And I know we talked before taping, but do do you guys have any memories of Sesame Street or a favorite Muppet character? I, I would have to go with either Oscar or the Cookie Monster as yeah. my two favorites. Oscar the Grouch was always oh, okay. a charmer for in my world. <laughs> Do you know, I always like Burton Ernie. Burton Ernie. Burton Ernie. Yeah, and I yeah. did really adore the Odd Couple TV show, too. So maybe oh, yeah. that there's a little juxtaposition with the, exactly. the funny Burton Ernie and Oscar <laughs> Madison and Felix Unger kind of thing that I liked. Could be. Yeah, I did. I did like Sesame Street, um, but um, I liked Mr. Rogers more. 
Oh, yeah. 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 So Sesame Street, yeah, was carried by, uh, you know, the PBS affiliates uh, of whatever city it was showing in, along with Mr. Rogers, right? So um, do you guys have any vignettes that you remember? I I remember the, to teach us the letter W, I remember there was this animation about Wanda the Witch and her weasel. (laughs) You guys remember that one? No? And I remember they would like, Zoom in on the weasel, and the weasel would say, "I am a weasel." <laughs> anyway, maybe maybe some of our uh, fans will remember that one. But um, anyway, <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, like I said, hardly ever stayed home from school, so this was not a sick day. And now we're back home from school, and this usually meant a snack and some TV, mm. or I might ride a hand-me-down bike around our cul-de-sac did did either of you grow up on a cul-de-sac yeah actually i did oh you did, you did. i did not yeah, man. yeah yeah but we so, were right i mean here. it was a yeah nice safe place to ride a bike because yeah. you know it was one way in one way out and anyway um and uh let's see snack time usually meant windmill cookies or a similar cheap cookie bought in bulk do you, do you guys remember windmill cookies i don't remember windmill are the, cookies are they vandy camps or something like that i don't I know. think the vanda camp label had a windmill on the label maybe oh okay the, that's these had I'm... like like sliced almonds on them they were yes really i do remember the yeah. windmill cookies they were a little bit hard they could be for some reason i remember the frosted animal cookie animal oh cookies. yeah man those, those are good were, too are, are the really ones good. that were a mixture with, with a little uh a little <laughs> candy beads on them what and you do the deep dive for the animal cookies <laughs> and the chocolate um with the chocolate yeah. inside you dig yeah, those out yeah <laughs> nice um Okay, so again, my choices were either to go out and ride a bike, and which, by the way, probably had training wheels on it because remember, I was only five and in kindergarten, <laughs> so I wasn't a pro at riding a bike yet. Um, or I could stay in and watch TV and well, come on, you guys do the math. I co-host a podcast on all things mid-century modern where we talk about classic TV a lot. Yes. So you can guess what I chose most often, right? Uh, I had a bunch of great TV to watch in syndication. I love Lucy, the Beverly Hillbillies, Gilligan's Island, you name it. All those great shows that had come out um, earlier in the 60s. Yeah. Now, you guys ready? If it were a Friday evening... After dinner TV included another new show for 1969. Here's the story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. All of them had hair of gold, like their mother, the youngest one in curls. It's the story. Were you guys fans of the Brady Bunch? Growing oh up? yes, I'm sure you were. We all were, right? But um, having having been the product of a blended family, I thought the Brady Bunch was was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, my dad was a widower, uh, like Mike Brady, and uh, he even had a housekeeper when he and my mom married. But um, she was pre Dave, so I I I never knew her. I never got to meet her. She Aww. was long gone by the time I came <laughs> along, right? Um, and by the way, I, I looked, there was no mention of it on uh, some of the sources I was looking at to prep for the show. But do, 
do we do we remember what was Carol's situation? We know Mike was a widower with three I, boys. I thought they were both widowed, but I, I she, really she, she might have been assume? divorced. She might have been. Well, we don't, I don't uh, think they used the D word on TV no. back then. Oh, <laughs> they don't talk about. Well, I'm going her. to. My, my mom was a divorcee, but I, I I never knew. I I don't have a recollection of what Carol's situation was. Right. So I wondered how you know Carol well, and Betty the kids had never that. pined for dad. None of the girls were like pining for dad or anything. And no, I don't ever remember. But in the, in the first episode, Bobby Brady had a picture of his mom. Oh, really? On the yeah. counter. It, no, yes, it's that. the first episode where they get married. Yes. And they lived in a wicked, cool, mid-century modern house. I don't know oh. if you remember that oh, from yeah. the first episode. But um, uh, anyway, so the show was created by Sherwood Schwartz of Gilligan's Island fame. And to my five-year-old eyes, I was enamored of the family's cool California lifestyle. So that's why I'm always so jealous of you guys who got to grow up in Southern California with, with the Brady's, <laughs> right? You know, they had an awesome house. Uh, their school had classrooms you could enter from outside to yeah. a Midwestern kid. That was just so, so unusual and so different. Wow. The, yeah. the school door, the classroom doors like go out to a courtyard or whatever, which we thought was super, super awesome. Um, Mike was an architect and, you know, it, it seemed like all the siblings seemed to get along great, which the Fritzes did noise, but anyway, <laughs> but, but it was great to see that, uh, you know, there was a family, uh, family like uh, TV family, like the Brady's yeah. uh, who got along so well, usually. Right. So on a typical uh, Friday evening watching TV, my mom not our housekeeper, because we did not have Alice. Did anyone else think that it would have been cool to have an Alice at the time? <laughs> anyway. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, that, that could have been cool. she made something yummy. Yeah. Well, you know, and you could go to her and talk to her about your problems. And what, what, did, what did Carol do with her days exactly? I know, right? <laughs> That's a good question. She's, she's, anyway, off, she's off with the girls at the bar or something. I, we don't know. What, what's she doing? <laughs> Playing poker with coupons like on Mr. Mom. I don't, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe she's um, hanging out with Sam the Butcher. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my mom would, would pop us a big bowl of popcorn. And, and by the way, at, at our house, um, uh, she would pop the popcorn on a giant range, this gas range that she had. And it was, um, you know, this, this oily old pan. And I mean, we made it on top of the stove because 1969 microwave popcorn didn't, did not exist yet. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so then my brother and I, we were allowed to share, you know, go have on a 16 ounce bottle of Pepsi. Ooh. You guys Ooh. remember how they came in the, the, the eight packs, there were four bottles on each side of the pack and they were 16 Ooh. ounces each. That's when you're and, living large, when you can yeah, get a man. soda in right? my family. It oh, was a oh, big okay. deal. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, we only got to have it like on yeah. special occasions. On Friday nights. Well, I remember yes. it, it seemed like we drank a lot of Shasta Cola for some reason back then. I don't <laughs> yeah, know I why. It's kind of weird. But yeah. yeah, it was super cheap. It but, was cheap. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then you guys ready? We were allowed to stay up until 10 o'clock. Whoa. 
Yes. No, right? Yeah, so, on a school um, night or on, on Friday night? Oh, this was on a Friday night. Oh, Friday night. Okay. Right. That's so, you know, we were hopped up on popcorn and Pepsi. <laughs> Pepsi. So we could stay up until stay up until 10. Um, but it always took me a while to fall asleep. Um, and I can still remember many a night hearing my parents' bedroom TV announce who was going to be on Carson. Oh, Aww, yeah. That's sweet so, I, you know, I'd hear the I'd hear the intro, you know, the Tonight Show Orchestra uh, introduced, you know, and then you'd hear Ed McMahon uh, talk about who the guests were going to be on the Johnny Carson show that night. And then I drift off, you know, Aww. to sleep shortly after that. So sweet. good times. 1969. Yeah. 1969, a lot of cool stuff in 1969. Of course, I love those space food sticks. Well, I didn't really love them. I wanted to be an astronaut, so I ate them. Right. I, think that I don't think it. anyone actually loved them. I don't no. think the astronauts actually loved them. Either, they were but. there in the cupboard and they were chocolate. That's right. all I needed. <laughs> Should we talk about what they were for, for, for our listeners who don't know? What's a space food? They're, they're basically little sticks that were like uh, prehistorical. Uh, <laughs> protein bar type <laughs> stick that was like a tootsie roll kind of but a tootsie roll that tasted off yeah tootsie roll that tasted kind of like vitamins and stuff a little bit yeah. i sort of had a brownie like texture yeah right i loved yeah. them though uh, uh, i'd like to try one now right uh, maybe see that if i be... can get one and see how it is Space sticks. <laughs> if any of you eat space food sticks, let us know. <laughs> Top grossing movies, 1969. Most of them I don't know about. Uh, number one, of course, we do know about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Who doesn't know about that one, right? Right. Number two, I've never heard of this one, The Love Bug. What's that? Herbie the Love Bug? <laughs> yes. Oh, I love <laughs> the Love Bug shows. <laughs> that was number two. I need to watch those now, again. Now, we go from Disney Herbie movie to softcore porn, Midnight Cowboy. I if know. I'm not mistaken, that was <laughs> basically a softcore porn. Yes, it was, was rated X. Yeah, and then we go to yeah. Easy Rider, Hello Dolly. Yes. Oh, oh, man. And then there are some that I really don't know. Bob and Carol and Ted, Ted and Alice. Alice. Oh, I don't that know was that a one big at all. kind of swinger kind of. Yeah. yeah. About two couples who were friends. and Yeah. That's yeah. a famous movie. Number seven, Paint Your Wagon. Number eight, yes. True Grit. Oh. Love True Grit. Number nine, I don't know this one, Cactus Flower. Oh, yeah, that's with yeah, um, Goldie, Goldie Hawn. Western, really? I think. Yeah. yeah. Was uh, it a Western? I can't remember. Yeah, I just remember Goldie Hawn yeah. was in that. Goodbye, Columbus. No, mm. that was number oh. 10 for 1969. Remember, we were five. <laughs> number 11, and I don't know why this isn't in the top three, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh. How is that oh, it was, not in the top man. three? You know, that should be up there. Uh, the world was upset about Con Connery leaving. So. Yeah. What else do we have here? Number 19, Sweet Charity, uh, Where Eagles Dare, number 20, Alice's <laughs> Restaurant, 21, oh. Top Topaz, I don't know what that one is, 22. That was a Hitchcock uh, thriller, Topaz. Oh. Uh, skipping down to 24, Once Upon a Time in the West. And 26 is Shea, and 27 is Desaad. I guess is that something about murky hmm. Desaad? So anyway, those uh, are some okay. of your top movies for 1969 television. Number one for 1969, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. <laughs> Number two, Gunsmoke. Number three, Bonanza. Number four, Mayberry, RFD. Number five, Family Affair. Number six, Here's Lucy. Number seven, Red Skelton Hour. Number eight, Marcus Welby, MD. Number nine, Dave, brace yourself. 
Walt Disney's Wonderful World yes. of Color. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Star Trek, but. <laughs> number 11, skipping down number 11, Bill Cosby show. I don't remember there being a Bill Cosby show yes. back then. There was. He was a teacher. I remember Fat Albert. But no, I really? That. I don't remember that. Yes. Yeah. I Dean, Dean Martin spot. show number 17, or 14, rather. My Three Sons, Ironside, Johnny Cash show, all tie for 15. Oh. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> but it keeps going. Number 18, Beverly Hillbillies. Number 19, Hawaii Five-0. Yeah, man. Yeah. Hee-haw comes in number 20. All right. Mod Squad, 23. I'm done. I could keep oh, going. Man. Oh, we wait. I can't stop. Dave. Oh, no. 24 just for you, Bewitched. There we go. Ah, uh, nice. Uh, yeah. With Montgomery. Just there for you. Go. Time capsule. Um, yeah, nice. <laughs> That's time So it's interesting you, you mentioned Paint Your Wagon came out in 69. Wasn't, wasn't it a musical? Yeah, it is, isn't Clint it? Clint Eastwood is in it, right? Really? And, okay, and that's our assignment. Everybody's much... got to watch Paint Your Wagon. I thought it was a much earlier movie, but uh, It's anyway. a musical. Yeah, that that kind of jumped out at me. Is... I'm trying to find it on the okay. list here so I okay. can click on it. Yeah, that's our that's our assignment uh, for Time Capsule. Yeah, right. I don't know. Cool. Well, this was yeah. a great idea, Paul. I like the idea. So we'll have to keep the Time Capsule uh, idea going and pick some uh, uh, other interesting years to talk about. And I like your idea. We need to get uh, some, some like the Pam's radio jingle people to do a time capsule 69 (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. Write in, tell us your memories of 1969 or, you know, give us a call. I'd love, we'd love to play it for you on the podcast. Very good. Very, very good. Well, I think, uh, I think uh, we've pretty well written this one. For all it's worth. <laughs> Until next time, stay swell, my friends. Stay we'll swell. See ya. Take care. Sesame Street is a production of the Children's Television Workshop. <laughs>